Hey, Ron. Hey, Artie. Welcome to the Automatic Crowd, the St. Vitus Bar podcast. Yeah, we're back again. Ron and I in the same room with microphones. On the same stools. Ron, Ron, Ron and Tom only got stuck in, I don't know, two and a half hours traffic. Yeah, we missed an exit, too. That was a, What exit did you miss? The exit 15, the Van Damme exit. Oh, Van Damme? He was playing Skid Row. I fell asleep. What fucking Skid Row? <laughs> wait, wait, what Skid Row? First <laughs> album. How did you fall asleep during that record? I, don't, I didn't want to be awake. 18 in life? Yeah, I have not been sleeping well. <laughs> we won't get into that. This is going to start off poorly. Uh, so we had the Sebastian Bach uh, uh, book signing here. And, and I, oh, that's right. I was downstairs talking to, to Baz. And um, he, uh, I told him how I was recording at Snake Sabo's house the day that um, he quit Skid Row. And he sent a fax, and I was in the I was in Snake's computer room. This is in nineteen. Wait, wait, Sebastian Bach sent him a fax. Yeah, <laughs> he quit by fax. Right, yeah, so, yeah, so, How nineties no, is so that? I told him a story, and he goes, "Well, which time?" <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Oh, I quit like so many times." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit!" He's like, "Did you know I took a shit on his front lawn?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "I was like, is that in the book?" And he wouldn't tell me it was in the book. I haven't read the book. And, and he's like, "Yeah, I took a shit on his front lawn." I was like, "Dude." That's, like, unforgivable. It's like, ridiculous. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and he isn't ashamed of it either. Oh, he's... no. No, I don't know if it's in the book or not, but, yeah, it was... The next time a girl breaks up with me or my band breaks up, I'm going to shit on the lawns. I mean, yeah, and I think that's... A I never tried problem. that approach. I, I, it, was, it was interesting. So next time you're listening to, uh, you know, Youth Gone Wild, think about that. Yeah, think of him. Even though he didn't He's like the, ma- the OG mad pooper. <laughs> like that jogging guy. Oh <laughs> Did you yeah. see that video? It was a woman. It was a woman, yeah. That shit was raw. Woo. I mean, nothing offends me, but holy fuck, that yeah, was tough. Totally fucking wrong. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in this episode, we have... Todd Youth. Todd Youth, who is famous for... Murphy's Law, Warzone, uh, Briefly Agnostic Front. Later on, Distin Danzig played with fucking Ace Freely, Glenn Campbell, uh a great band of his own called Chrome Locust, who were really underrated, and currently in Fireburn and Blood Clot. Ah, oh, that Fireburn record's fucking great. Great record. And Blood Clot played here and... Uh, With Negative Approach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was fucking sick. Yeah. Uh, I mean... They, they ripped. That show was, in general, like, between Negative Approach and Blood Clot, that was a, such a good show. Was that like, was a great show. And I'd seen that tour... I saw the second day of that tour in uh, Long Island, and... Uh, Neither, negative Approach was awesome that night, but Blood Clot, it was... I'd actually, I think it was the first night of the tour, and it was the second show Blood Clot had ever done. Yeah. So they, was, they were good, but they, well, John, they weren't mean, firing on all cylinders yet. And they came here, like, just five days later, and you would have thought they were on the road for a month. I mean, it was like... They were yeah, a machine I mean, by the time they got here, and it was only five days later. You know, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's rare to hear that style played so well. And it's uh, it, it's fucking just killer. And yeah, the Fireburn record, which you told me to listen to a couple weeks ago, because they're playing that. Uh, are they playing the? the they're War playing Zone? the the Warzone thing that yeah, Todd's doing thing. double duty along with uh, my old homies, Killer Idols, and uh, a shutdown reunion and a few other bands. Big free thing shutdown in the park. Reunion. Yeah, it's right. shutdown, Killer Idols, Fireburn. Um, Warzone 20th anniversary. It's like the Scandato dynasty. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're uh, they're a clan. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, someone else on the bill, but that's who I remember. Sick, man. That's fucking. Well, that's free in the park October on October 1st. 1st. Right? That's going to be great. I don't know if this will be out by then, but I'll try. We'll see. Uh, anyway, 
the uh, yeah. So Todd was Todd was super cool, and like he's had quite a life, and uh, you know, uh, ups and downs with various things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's he's, funny, like, he's I, ups I, and downs musically, personally, and uh, you know, he seems to be totally firing all cylinders yeah, now. Yeah, he seems I mean, like he's, 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 he's in a great good. place um, for sure. Band wise, he's got two great new bands. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's good to hear him play. He's he had, like he talks about it in the interview uh, about how many new projects he has and stuff like that. But he's one of these guys that like I think uh, that you know mainstream metal people who like Danzig probably don't know about Todd's other. Stuff. Oh, him being an ace in Danzig, I'm sure those people have no clue of his yeah. past and his pedigree. Yeah, and it's uh, and in the hardcore scene, it's absolutely legendary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> City guy, fucking cool guy. Um, you know, I, it's funny because I'd met him on tour in 1995, I believe. It might have been 94. What Europe, bands? In Europe. Um, who were you with and who was, was he with? I was with Bad Trip. Okay. And he was with Murphy's Law. Okay. Uh, no, sorry, I'm a dick. Uh, yeah, he was, on, he was with Murphy's Law, sorry. It was, Mur- it was Murphy's Law and Leeway. We're touring together. Um, and I, over the years, I had heard, like, uh good and bad stories about Todd, you know, depending on... Me as well. Like a, Me as a well. Lot of, a lot of guys from that scene have had various, you know, substance abuse, abuse issues. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he definitely... He was a great interview. Uh, you get to hear Blood Clot sound checking in the background without him. Oh, is that bleeding through? <laughs> oh, it might have been... Not, was it Negative Approach? I think it was Negative Approach. It was, because Blood Clot... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they got here crazy early, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Negative Approach who were, who were uh, sound checking in the background, so... <laughs> I haven't listened. I haven't gotten that far into the into the interview to uh, to edit it to see how it came out, but I'm I'm sure it's fine. We we're close, mic'd. Um, but yeah, it's a killer. And so, in um, celebration of interviewing a hardcore legend, I wanted to talk about our top hardcore records of all time. So we're going to stay New York centric, even though we probably would anyway. Yeah, I mean, I could name. Hundreds of records, hardcore-wise, that are right. huge for me. But New York, I mean, I grew up a New York hardcore kid, and so that was that was my first real exposure to it was through the New York scene. So, yeah. well, I, and, and hardcore also, like again, <clears throat> is I always I have a philosophy about this where it's that because it's a youth culture, you get into it when you get into it. Usually, like you like the bands that are the sometimes the local bands that are around you because there's a scene involved. It's very community-based. And, yeah, it's extremely community-based. And you like the bands that came before. So you, so you start at your point, whatever that might be, let's say 1988, 1987, whatever, and you go backwards. Yeah. But you rarely ever... You reach a point in your life where you get to... You, you don't really go forwards with it. So you stop paying attention. So every era of hardcore has their bands that are popular... That guys like us who are a little bit older are just like, who is that? Uh, yeah, and the, uh, I think every single one of them. I'm still playing play in hardcore here. bands. <laughs> I'm still playing in hardcore bands, and it's like, you, the way hardcore bands break up and then start new projects or side projects, you cannot. Three months feels like a decade in a normal scene. So much happens in three months. We're like, oh, those twelve bands, they all broke up, but this guy has a new band, and that guy's in another band, and this there's a new band coming out of this town. Yeah. Hardcore is such a short shelf life in general, as far as bands go. That, and it's also well, because it's not. It, it can never be a profession. I mean, maybe for you know. Well, I mean, for the upper echelon, the bands like I was that, in Mabel and Sickerdal and stuff, but yeah. uh, but you don't. I mean, hardcore's changed so much. I think it can professional. It can potentially be, 
But in the context of how we grew up in it, I mean, holy fuck. I think but the goal was really funny. Like, all right, so like, the furthest say, thing from that. I'll, I'll use this as an example. A band called Page 99 played here last yeah. year. And they, like, I, I who? <laughs> I right. mean, I, I remember them well, and I, I used to see them at ABC. But I never saw them at ABC. I had never, I mean, I had well, heard you know what it is? Some purple. of the bands that were doing the noisy stuff that, like, I guess Converge gets the credit for being, like, the... The band, yeah. Yeah, the bands underneath them that do that sound. That sound is now much more widely known. So those bands 10 years later are more popular than they were. Right. It's like Floor. I saw cool. Floor play to five people. Now Floor sell out clubs to 300 people. Well, there's it just happened, and there's in a, hardcore, for, for it happens too. Yeah, well, there's there's always a nostalgia for your era. Of like, course, I've been talking to Thoughts of Ionesco about playing here. Jesus Christ! And they drew like 600 people in Detroit when they played recently, and you know, like I'm like, hey, that blows my mind. Yeah. But again, that's like, that's the power, I guess, of like community and scene. And right, right. Well, that's what I'm talking about, though. Like where that, like the Silent Majority reunion could have been in Dakota, there would have been 11 people. Yes. But they played Long Island and sold out a 450C club in less than a minute. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, but, but that's the thing. is like you're seeing like that, that's the way hardcore rolls. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I think about it like where, okay, like by, by the 2000s or, or by the late 90s, I was completely out. Like I was just like, ah, yeah, fucking stop screaming. I'm fucking annoyed. And <laughs> I'm just like, you're fucking too loud, kid. Shut the fuck up. And, but, you know, at the same time, it was like the, those bands – that were coming up in that time, that was, say, like, uh, say Dave Castillo, right? Or Chris right. Enriquez. Those kids. Like, those kids, they were... They, those were their bands. So, like, Absolutely. when a band like... Uh, um, what was that? City of Caterpillar played here. Yeah. Right? Fucking, fucking sold out two nights so quick. I'm like, who the fuck is City of Caterpillar? <laughs> I never fucking heard of this band. See, I was still in but touch with that. because I never went forward. I stopped yeah. right at my time. See, I was you know? still... I was in the scene still, but that wasn't my generation, and that... That evolution of hardcore's music was not particularly my style, but for like Enriquez and Corey and all those people, they lose their minds because that's the shit that really meant a lot to them because they're mid thirties, right. and that that was their that was their in was those bands being current and modern. But for us, it's like you know, I, if I would have walked, I mean, I saw City Caterpillar. It wasn't on purpose. I watched them for three songs. I left. I never thought about it again in my life until you just what mentioned was that, them. Was that at ABC? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and there were. But there was a spirit and a culture and a community in it that I still felt a part of. But musically, I was very detached because the music had changed so much from what I liked. And even the bands that were good at it, I'd buy the record. But, you know, I listened to those records a few times. Those kids listened to them every day because it was there. Sasha. Oh, boy. (laughs) Sasha. Sasha. They're like the blueprint for all those bands, though. Yeah, it's like... I mean, Adam, my bass player in Airtap, was in Sasha. He was a guitar player. That's right. Yeah. And, And... yeah, they, really? just, they actually just reissued. Uh, did the records are worth like, like sixty dollars each? I know. Yeah, they just reissued. They just did an anthology reissue thing. Yep. Uh, I've been trying desperately to get them to fucking play. They here. should definitely play here. Yeah, they could sell out two nights in a heartbeat. But, yeah. Uh, but um. But you know, it's I, funny when they were Billy, around. I think Billy doesn't want to do it. The singer. They, Billy doesn't. Yeah. It, it's just, that's my understanding. I don't. I don't know. The weird I've thing is, though, I don't really, you know. when they were around, they were just a local band. I, from what I remember playing, I like at NYU, and I was fucking like, I, I was like, why, why are these guys rolling around on the fucking ground so much? <laughs> it, it was yeah, like, they it was took like one that. of those San Diego uh, yeah. fall down chain wall bands. Yes, the <laughs> great, great analogy. Yeah, like they're they're crying for some reason. 
The, yeah, people used to cry at their shows. Yeah. Yeah, Split Lip was like that, too. I remember seeing Split Lip, <clears throat> who later became Chamberlain, and they fucking, like, there were people crying. I'm like, what are you crying about? What hormone imbalance do you have? Fucking, you need a riff? What are you, what are you, <laughs> what's wrong? <laughs> I mean, I used to punch things and bleed, and, I, and people thought that was weird. I think that's more normal than crying. You're a fucking weirdo. Well, yeah, but what are you going to do? I mean, it's better than crying. I'd rather, like, bleed on people than cry on their shoes. Bleed on me. But I guess it's a. <laughs> but you know what? That that crying stuff became the template for made screamo. It made screamo into emo into mainstream into. I mean, it all I did. Think emo and screamo lived simultaneously. They but... did, but when you took the screaming and polished it, and you kept the same vibe of lyric and presentation, that became mainstream music a few years later. But if they heard Seisha and they thought they would... Someone who listens to that stuff heard Seisha, they would probably think it's noise. But at the time, they were well, very... Like, well, Rodan is another Yeah, one. Rodan's so, a perfect example. Yeah, it, yeah I mean, we, we, we definitely got off topic. For, it has nothing to do with Todd Youth. <laughs> That's all right. We never talk right. about what we're supposed to. I know. I, already, I think I already know the answers to this, but give me, give me your, your top three hardcore records. All right. I know New York, number one. New York I mean, hardcore. One is everybody's number one. New York hardcore for me is easy. Except for me. It's... Uh, Victim and Pain, Age of Quarrel, and be, this is LPs only. Okay. And being cool. a Long Island freak, Crumb Sucker's Life of Dreams. I mean, yeah, of course. Uh, wait, you can do EPs. What, what EPs? Well, Seven Inches is way more complicated because, uh, I mean, I got into hardcore in late 84. Victim and Pain just come out. My and friend got it. you're willing to get up and change a fucking Seven Inch. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. God, it's over already. Well, Victor and Pain practically. Thank God this shit isn't on 45. Victor and Pain practically was a 7 inch. The whole record's like 12 or 13 minutes. But it was a 12 inch, so technically it was an EP. Like a full, a full length. But Victor and Pain, um, that was, that blew the doors open. And the other record I got into at the same time, which would be in my top five probably, would be the Reagan Youth record. Oh, cool. Because this is way before like Chromags and Murphy's Law and Warzone were putting out vinyl, you know? So it was like, there was a lot less to choose from LP wise then. And um, lots of demos. And more on the hardcore slash punk side would definitely be the Nihilistics LP. But that's not really New York hardcore per se. That's, but that's, that's one of the greatest records of all time of any music that's genre. Some, uh, some Long Island nihilism. That is say. some brutal, yes. dark music. Yeah, sorry. I'm just I'm making sure I'm what are you doing? signal here. You EQing us? Check, check. Yeah, oh, I am. I'm good. We're good. Anyways. <laughs> so, but going to EPs. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't want to lose this gold. Yeah, this is a... <laughs> Epic moments. Fucking magic. <laughs> uh, EP-wise, it would be the Antidote EP, the Cause for Alarm EP, uh, Urban Waste for sure. Uh, I love that. Urban Waste for fucking sure, man. That fucking record. Fuck yeah. I love that goddamn record. And, uh, and then a little later in the 80s, the Sick of It All 7-inch, uh, the Warzone, Lower East Side Crew, um, records like that. But that's later 80s. That's a good four years after I got into hardcore so, uh, but LP-wise, it is simple. Uh, I would say Victim and Pain, Age of Quarrel, and uh, Crumb Sucker's Life of Dreams, which some people might consider more of a crossover record, but, I mean, they were a New York hardcore band, and they went more metal as they went along. What are your top three? Well, Ron. <laughs> and are you including Bad Brains in New York hardcore or no? No. Okay. Well, I mean... We... I mean, they lived here, and they were hardcore, and they yeah. were the first one in a way, but... When you think of New York hardcore, you don't think of Bad Brains. No, and, and my introduction... Because they were punk first. My introduction to hardcore was definitely... Uh, or I'm from Long Island, I said hardcore. Um, H-A-W-D. <laughs> I, I, I haven't had enough to drink. Um, C-A-W. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Caca, hardcore. Um, 
No, my, my introduction to it was all the hardcore bands that would open for the metal bands at, at Sundance. So, you know, you'd go... Leeway and Cro-Mags and stuff like that. Leeway and Sick of It All. Yep. Um, uh, DA. Uh, yep. They were Long Island, but... Um, uh, no, I forget who else. I mean, there were so many that did did those shows. I mean, I mean it was Sheer Terror, Biohazard, Life of Agony, right, and just Kate Hate Enough would be in my top five for sure. Biohazard definitely played more shows than any other band, but I don't consider them a hardcore band. They started as one, but they left that... They became more of like, I guess, a crossover, for lack of a better it's term. Just, I don't know. It's what, just garbage. Anyway. <laughs> it, it, anyway I love early Biohazard. I, I'm not going to lie and say I don't own the record and that I listened to it. Blue Blood! At the time, I thought it was really... Yeah, I mean, it's just so questionable. And they did have a White Power demo, but whatever. Anyway, the... the uh, I can just, sing it if you want. <laughs> I know you can. I, American, Nazi, pride. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I... I uh, for me, you know, like, that, that was my intro. So I, I remember going... I remember when Blood, Sweat, No Tears came out. And yeah. I, I was at that show at Sundance, at, like, when the, you know, they had the posters all over. And it was a release. Obviously, they had a record release at CB's. Yeah. Uh, that was probably a lot bigger of a deal than the one at Sundance. But, um, but I remember it vividly, and it was, it was fucking awesome. But, you know, as a... I forget how old I was. I was probably 16, maybe 17. And uh, I had a friend in, in high school who was really into hardcore. And, and uh, he was already... Actually, he was so into hardcore that he was kind of getting out of it at that point. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, oh, you're like sick of it all in Leeway? Because I remember go, I showed up and I had pins on Oh, that's jacket. too new jack for him? Yeah, I was way too new jack. Oh, no, yeah. he was into Life in Hyenas and shit. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he was fucking gone. Yeah, he like, yeah. He's like, and only later on did I understand what that meant. You know, was like, right, because you, you hadn't even reached his yeah, hardcore I I thing yet. Close, so he was yeah. a full step ahead. I was just a silly metalhead to him. You yeah, know? Like, some kid who likes Exodus. Like, you're not really getting into hardcore. That's a, that's a, that shit sucks. That's yeah. <laughs> a punk. Anyway, but, you know, but it, it was a gateway for me, and... and I, at the time, I really enjoyed it, but I was always, you know, you, when you, you know, when you went to those shows, you were kind of like, ah. <laughs> Going to CBs, I was. You're like, ah. I, 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 I was never big on the moshing, violent aspect of the whole thing. Like, I would stage dive on occasion, uh, but I never wanted to, like, break a nose, and my mom would be like, what the fuck happened? And like, oh, mom, I broke my <laughs> nose, you know, stage diving. Why'd you do that? That sounds stupid, you know. And she's right. I never had those discussions, but I, they would have went the same. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, uh, so I just didn't bother, you know, for the most part. It was, it was intimidating, but I liked to listen to the records. And then, and then I, I remember going to ABC in Rio for the first time. Well, I, the first time I went to ABC, I actually played there. Mind Over Matter? Yeah, with Mind Over Matter. And, and, uh, and I remember us all having an attitude, typical Long Island shitheads, like, <laughs> like, like Ofada, like, like fuck these people, man. Like, they, they think, like, what, do they think, like, they're better than us? I was like, no, dude, they smell. They don't think they're better. They smell, and they don't pay rent, and they live in, like, fucking, like, I don't, like, half of these people are on heroin. Like, what? Like, they definitely don't think they're better Who than us. Who did you play with? I can't remember. George, George might remember. Artie Philly probably remembers. But uh, I remember, like, Neil was running the place at the time. Yeah, Neil from Nausea. Yeah. Tribal and, War. And it, which was, you know, I was like, you know, you know, it's cool, but like I because you already love Nausea, right? First, oh, yeah, but on the first, well, that was because of the Murders Among Us comp, yes, which was the only thing I had that they were on, yeah. Um, which had Life's Blood and, and mm-hmm. Born Against and uh, Absolution, Absolution, right? That's a great EP, it's a fucking great EP, that's a yeah. great fucking record. Um, and <clears throat> so, George Reynolds had played that for me at that point, and I was like, oh, it's fucking great, it's so killer, it's like total life changing shit. That and the Born Against Seven Inch and whatnot, but um. But yeah, so fucking, I, 
I remember on the first Modern Matter 7-inch, we put... Uh, we did like a thank you, and then we did a death and destruction. And the first thing was ABC No Rio. <laughs> but death and destruction? That, yeah, which I was surprised <laughs> the wreckage people let us do because they were pretty close with all the ABC people. They definitely were. And uh, it was really funny. And then, like, um, I think it was uh, somebody at Hofstra wrote a review of the record and, like, just bashed us because we did that. Because we said it might, fuck, it wasn't Jeff Kaplan. <laughs> but it was somebody, like, Jeff was friends. I, I forget who it was. Aaron? Some... It was Aaron. Yeah. Aaron? It was Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, like it, and and uh, rightfully so. It Those was, are two men advantage people for yeah, people was, who don't it know. Was, it's fine. I, I totally, I'm over it now. <laughs> it uh, took I, a quarter of a century. I was over it a week after it happened. <laughs> but, but yeah, like uh, uh, it's funny, like you know. So like that was really when I went to ABC the first time, and then going subsequently going, Artie and I would go a bunch, and you know, see Born Against and and whatnot. I, I, I saw Jawbreaker there. God, not that I'm yeah. a huge fan, but um, so did I. I saw a lot of great shows there, and as much as I was turned off by the whole... And you also seen Rorschach and Sisson's Rest well, and Go yeah, and I mean, the regulars. Hell no. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, all of that shit, like, I got... Bug Out Society. So fucking well. <laughs> Bill Florio. Yeah. Um, Bill. He's on, he does something with the Chris Gethard show now, right? Does he? Yeah. I haven't talked to Bill in a while. It. Oh, he's fucking hysterical. Anyway. But, I, mean, I love Bill, but I haven't talked to him. I saw Earth Crisis and Snapcase there. I saw Earth Crisis there. It was with Snapcase, right? Yeah, I it think it was. And in hindsight, that's pretty unbelievable. That was right when Firestorm came out, I think. Yeah. Um, that was their first show in New York, too. New York City. I mean, they're in Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, not, not a big market for them at the time. Um, None. <laughs> <laughs> there was no market. But New York yeah, wasn't that, very straight edge friendly. So if, you, if, if I talk about my top hardcore records, they're going to be like the Born Against 7 Inch and, and you know, uh, Nine Battle Hymns, The Republic, and. Uh, those are Rush my favorite records Rush of those Rush time. Yeah, those those I mean, are my favorite records that I would associate with the next generation for, like for a, sure. Because like I love all those records. Like, and it's not even that old, but Born to Expire. I was just saying, that's the one I assumed you would you know, like. But that was very, you know. What about cost, Life of Dreams? Cost for Alarm. Uh, Life of Dreams, uh, Cost for Alarm, Down the Front, Life of Dreams. Ludacrist album, first one? Is that a big one for you? I mean, yeah, it was, but I, I didn't consider Ludacrist to be a hardcore band. You know, I'll be but, you know, by the time you came in, they were scatterbrained, so I mean... No, no, I saw Ludacris. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay, yeah. so you caught the tail. shows at, at Sundance. Okay, so you caught yeah, the tail end of Ludacris. Totally. I mean, uh, it, like, uh, and... They were changing a lot by that on point. On Island, they were sort of like a, you know, they were a decently big deal, you know? Definitely, like, definitely and, were. So, Crumbsuckers were huge. Yeah. Both and, of them. It, like, yeah, Ludacris and Crumbsuckers were like the crossover bands yeah. for that time. And Scatterbrain was kind of a joke, and obviously they had a bigger agenda, but... You know, yeah, they like, had switched everything. But by I, don't, then. I don't consider those bands to be hardcore bands because they weren't. They didn't feel like they were. Well, at least Ludacris didn't feel like it was part of a scene. You know what I mean? See, those bands were part of the New York hardcore scene that was happening at CB's at the time. But I mean, Crumbsucker started in '82. They yeah, did. I mean, so I mean, they were definitely part of it. Uh, yeah, and Ludacris was too. I mean, they, the, their first yeah. releases, aside from their demos, the live at CB's tape. Um, so they were. But you know what it is? Those bands signed to Combat Core, which was a metal label. Right. Going into hardcore, and these were hardcore bands that were going toward metal. So, and as things were dividing back then, you know, that brought in metal people between the way Combat Corp was promoting them, and they were playing with big metal bands. They both had great lead guitarists, which almost no hardcore bands had. Yeah. You know, their songs were a little longer. So, you know, the real, the 82 to 85 type hardcore people didn't like where those bands were going, where the kids who liked Slayer and Exodus and were just getting into DRI. 
they loved what those bands what's, would do. What's so funny about that is that, like, back in the early days is when Venom would play, you know, like, those bands would open for Venom or they'd open for... Yeah. Or, or, they, or they'd be playing with Voivod or, like, bands or like Motorhead, that. Or Motorhead, like, bands like Chromax. Like, all those shows were mixed up. Yeah. The big, rich shows. But by the late up. 80s, they were really mixed up. And then they were really violent because of it. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've discussed... The, the late 80s and... got really violent because, at that point, everyone... The, the hardcore scene had gotten 10 times more violent Ten times dumber, and the bands were almost starting to sound like each other. Yeah. So the real main difference was like what scene you came from, because the bands sound wise were very similar, and I'm sure all the bands got along, but their fans didn't, and that created a lot of problems. Oh, I remember. Yeah, it wasn't fun. <clears throat> no, that was a, <laughs> that was a wild time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean uh, my experiences were mostly on Long Island, but you know, I, but it wasn't fun there either. It was, it was terrible. No, yeah. It was the fucking worst. It was still had a gang culture. It was mm-hmm. still like, like just. Especially for me, it was ironic because I'd see a, a skinhead who I'd already knew, and you know, a month earlier they liked Slayer, Exodus, and Testament, and all of a sudden they loved Cro-Mags, Token Entry, and they're punching the guy in the Exodus shirt in the face. Well, yeah, it's I, like that was well, you five I, weeks ago, man. Yeah, I know. Like, it, it's it, like that shit happened a lot, and it was that, it, in Long Island. It and, was and for prevalent. me too. Like you know, I I, I went. I still was into, you know, especially in the late 80s when death metal started coming in, like, big right. time, you know? So it was, like, death and Morbid Angel and whatnot. When Roadrunner and Earache were blowing up, I mean, I was Couple still totally into that stuff. But by then, I was way more of a hardcore kid, even though I still love those bands. And I'd been following those bands since their demos. But well, we weren't, like, I mean, you know you know me and Eddie Reyes and General George and yeah. uh, LaFada and, and, and George Reynolds. Now, George was way into the, he was in. Like, because he was in SIB and all that shit. Yeah. And like, he was a hardcore kid all the way. He was a hardcore kid from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but you and Eddie were total metal. Artie Philly was a hardcore kid. And, like, although he loved Jane's Addiction. And actually, Artie's just kind of fucking free spirit. He didn't really give a shit about anything. He's a nihilist. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> but, uh, but no. And then and now. John, John was, you know, John was too young to really be part of that. But, like, like uh, for, yeah, I mean, for me and Ed and George and, like, uh, Scott Martin, like we were all metalhead kids, but when the transition happened, it was like, well, Scott never really got into it, which he'll openly admit he's like, ah, whatever, hardcore, who cares? <laughs> like, I like mu- I like playing music, it's cool, and and he was always so so much better of a musician than anybody around. <laughs> See, he, I met him later, but I I knew he was more he was more of a metal kid. He he was just a he was just a kid, honestly. Like like. Uh, and, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, Scott is, uh, he was the bass player in Mind Over Matter, and he was the bass player, he's late, the last bass player in Sound Majority, and um, for anybody who knows that, who's listening. And now, Eddie so. was from Taking Eddie's, Back Sunday, Eddie's, and Movie yeah. Life, and Inside. Is Eddie and, still in Taking Back Sunday? I can't. I, can't uh, I saw a picture like a month ago, he was in it. He was in it? Right, um, sure. Movie Life, Inside, Taking Back Sunday, Clockwise. Uh, yeah. It, but he became a, one of the bigger. He's a superstar. And well, it, now he's huge, but uh, yeah, it, no that was new, not a weight. Not, not that was not a weight new, joke, but, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, back to the, like that new record. Um, I haven't heard it, but I, they went like all Americana or something, didn't they? Good. Who cares what they did? It's still good. I mean, the fucking. The, well, their fans aren't thirteen the anymore. My fucking skin crawl, but it's fucking. It's it's a cool record. Anyway, Adam. but uh, uh, as is the new Quicksand album, which I've listened to, I don't know about fifty times so far. What's uh, the verdict? I only heard the two, one song, so... I'm going to finish saying what I wanted to say about... Okay, it. we'll get back to that. So, but we were metal <laughs> kids, but, like, the transition <clears throat> happened when we met 
George and John mm-hmm. and all those people. And it's funny how the Long Island hardcore scene at that time, <laughs> like we, George was the only one who was really involved. And like, and he was kind of like, eh, I think this is kind of stupid. <laughs> and you could just tell, you know, like he was searching for something that was that was. But a bit mentally, smarter. I think what was happening at ABC with like Born Against Rorschach was more where you and George were mentally. Oh yeah, I mean, but George and I were barely friends at that time. And, okay. And, like it was definitely where me and Artie were mentally, and definitely, definitely. And, uh, but like it just it was it just made more sense to me personally, and for like my upbringing, my the uh, my upbringing on a political level, which was very you know like sort of conservative, and and it was just like what is this? What are these people saying? It was intriguing, and right. and the Gulf War was uh, you know like on the verge of happening at that time. Or even in the, it was happening. I don't remember the, the first one that, you know... That first George Bush. Like five minutes. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, shit like that. Like, where you, you had that, that sort of, like, rebellious spirit on your mind where you're like, oh, you know... I mean, I, was, I remember being a senior in high school and they were like, well, you guys got to be ready for a draft because if this happens, this might happen. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not fucking going. Fuck <laughs> you. No fucking way. And it was so funny because I was friends with people... Well, not at that point. I didn't know Jim Nash, who eventually went on to fight uh, in in the second war. Um, but like, you know, I, it was just like one of those things, I'm like, fuck this. And then when I got introduced to that, I was like, yeah, fuck this. Yeah. Totally. I was like, hey, somebody agrees with me. <laughs> I'm not stuck on Long Island with all these people who are like, no, you got to fight for your country. Son. Love it or leave it. Like, fuck off. I'm not, what, what am I fighting for? Fucker. Anyway, take a knee. Oil kids. interest. Take a knee. Just kidding. Take um, a knee. God, I'm so over that. Anyway, so, so fucking, <laughs> it's just like, just stop talking about it, please. I beg the world to stop talking please, about please. it. Please. First of all, if you think that's real protest or you think that's real patriotism, shoot yourself in the head. Well, whatever. I mean, it's enough. I, I'll it, it, it ran its course. Find, a, it. find a more. But I'd like all those millionaires to donate their money to fucking Puerto Rico. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and I'm being a hypocrite because I haven't donated a dime. But then again, I don't have a lot. I'll hey. give them some old socks. <laughs> they're, they're, they're having a hard time. I know it's heartbreaking. And Honestly, pr- what's happening? The president, is- rather than than uh, opting to uh, tweet about what people can do for it, he's saying, "Oh yeah, the infrastructure was fucked, and they they did it to themselves." <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. you're a fucking moron. You are the biggest piece of garbage on the planet. Like, like, and I didn't even think. Like, I don't even think about it that much. But like that shit, I saw it this morning. I was like, "You're a piece of garbage." That's a piece of garbage shit. Like, you, like. You're the president of the fucking United States. You should probably be like, hey, you should maybe want to help out. Anybody who can help out? Maybe you could be a humanitarian for five seconds. Yeah, you piece of shit, fucking rich kid, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Fuck you. Anyway, and fuck anybody who thinks anything different because you're dumb. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so with all that said, you're... Yeah. Uh... Anyway, Todd Youth. <laughs> yeah. So what are you have to be fair with New York Hardcore Records? Well, I said, I, I'd like, I would say the, the first born against 7-inch. Yep. Uh, Rorschach <laughs> Protestant. Um, and Amazing record, terrible production And Leeway, Born to Expire That's good, and for, for your age, that makes perfect sense And those are some of my favorite records of that time, for sure Yeah, I mean, they're completely different in their, I mean, Rorschach and Born Against are relatively close Not musically, I also, like, the Life's Blood 7 Inches Oh, Life's Blood, great Yeah, like, that style I, I was lucky, I got to see them a few times That style, just, there was something about it that really turned me on It's like, it was great and catchy, but it was sloppy as fuck And it's like It was raw, you know, so It was still raw Javier's bass tone was fucking shitty and fucking weird. And, like, this, the whole thing was fucking... I mean, for, for Born Against, yeah. But like, fucking... Actually, they did... Uh, they, Javier played with Page 99 last night. 
and they did. Oh, like he told cover. me he was going to do song. a song, right? Yeah, I just got a text that they he, played. He told me he was going to do that. I fucking totally forgot about it. Which I was like, fucking kudos. I forgot to ask them about it because they picked up their gear. We actually interviewed Javier from Born Against for this, but I don't know if it ever got... I mean, someday I'll just release it as is. Cause it, it sounds like it shit, sounds though, right? terrible. He asked me about it. He wants to come back and be interviewed again. Okay. And I was like, dude, I don't know if we can capture the magic of that. Yeah, it was such it, a good interview. It, it was really good, and it like and it, it, it included the Johnny Stiff fucking commentary, which was yeah. Johnny cool. Stiff should commentary com- commentate on everything on Earth. Yeah, he should just sit over. He should be like the two guys in the Muppets who sit in the top because that's really all he is anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, dude. When I told him we did Drew Stone, he's like Drew Stone. <laughs> that guy's out for himself. <laughs> I forget. Who, oh, he was talking about uh, Mark from Carnivore. <laughs> that's not fucking real. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> He's that. the best. That's the worst Johnny Stiff imitation ever, but, yeah. You know, well, the words are right. The, the phrasing's off. Listen, listen to his, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Listen to the podcast we did with him. As difficult as it is to listen to, trust me on this one. It's, it's worth it. It's our least listened to one. Johnny? Yeah. Because Johnny's not really known regionally outside the, the local area. I know. Even though he's a total legend. I talked it up so hard. I tried. I tried, man. Yeah, listen, listen to Johnny. If you listen to this, listen to fucking Johnny Stiffs. I oh, mean, fuck. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Anyway, without further ado, here is the mighty Todd Youth of uh, many bands fame that currently Blood Clot and Fireburn. Yeah, check out both those records. They're both um, great. Blood Clot's on Metal Blade. Fireburn is on Magic Bullet, I think. I might be making that up. Yeah, I think it is on Magic right? Bullet. Yeah. Both pretty new releases. Both great. And uh, thank you for listening to The Automatic Crowd. New York Hardcore. Recorded right here at the old St. Vitus Bar. <laughs> Todd Youth. Yes, this is Todd Youth, bar. sitting at the bar in Brooklyn at St. Vitus. Greenpoint. What's going on, man? Uh, today is day seven of the Blood Clot Negative Approach U.S. Tour. Nice, nice. And, uh, you know, super excited to be here in my hometown. Nice. How's it been going? Fantastic. The tour's been going great. Um, you know, Negative Approach has always been one of my, you know, I, I top five, if not top three, hardcore bands of all time me too um, definitely so you know for me it's like look how I get to spend my summer I get to watch Negative <laughs> Approach every night sick <laughs> that's fucking awesome I think Ron you said Negative Approach is your number one right definitely probably definitely my top three okay. for sure yeah, top, even yeah. more than Chromax Absolutely. Really? what's that more than Chromax Chromax yeah Oh, oh I mean, you've, I got a nitpick here. Okay, yo, are we, are we going to... My favorite are we, hardcore 7-inch... apples and orange I'll, I'll, make it, like I'll break it down. My favorite hardcore 7-inch is the negative approach 7-inch. Okay. That I can say. One of my top... The top three would be Tied Down. I actually... The day Tied Down came out, um, there used to be a record store on 2nd Avenue between 8th and 7th, right next to Gem Spot called Freebie and Records. Oh, I remember Freebie. Yeah. Gosh. And I ran to Freebie and Records that day to get Tied Down. Nice. So, Amazing. I mean, you know, they were always, it's obvious how influential they were to early New York hardcore. I mean, you could just look at the song titles from United Blood and the song titles from the, yeah, same, you know, yeah, absolutely. Friend or Foe, Fight, Your Mistake, you know, they were a very important band to us at the time. Um, sweet, man. That's fucking awesome. So you have a very storied career. Storied is, is definitely an understatement. I actually, I actually <laughs> met you at a show. Uh, I was on tour in Europe playing with a band called Bad Trip. Um, and Mind Over Matter, I was actually playing two, in two bands. And it was with, uh, you were out with Murphy's Law. Uh-huh. And it was Murphy's Law, Leeway, Bad Trip, Mind Over Matter. And we all stayed in the same place. And Stigma was out with you guys doing, okay. doing yeah, yeah. merch. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, some he was doing merch. Yeah. yeah. Oh he came my. Into Europe with us. <laughs> he was a pretty terrible merch guy. Yeah. I'd imagine yeah. so. Yeah. He was sitting there with a. He was sitting there the whole show uh, with a with a fucking laser pointer at Jimmy, <laughs> trying to get in Jimmy's eyes as he's singing. <laughs> it was it was fucking hilarious. But we got we got some great quotes from that tour. Like, Hey, uh, Madball signed a Roadrunner. Roadrunner, road racer, one big run. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, and the, my favorite was we asked him what time it was, and he goes, Time? I'm on tour of Murphy's Law. I open the window, I fucking throw my watch. Fuck you with the time. <laughs> Stigmaisms. Um, yes. I'm trying to think of a good stigmaism. The only, I don't, I mean, maybe you guys could edit this one out, but I remember when I was 12 years old, and I was a little runaway, and I was playing bass in AF, and I was living on Stigma's floor. And... I'm 12 years old, so I haven't even discovered jerking off yet. Stigma tells me, goes, this is already good. Kid, when you jerk off, you got to stick your finger in your ass. It feels a whole lot better. And I was so horrified because I hadn't even masturbated yet. And then the thought of sticking my finger in my ass, I was like, what is wrong with this guy? Oh, my God. There's no way we're editing that. That's out. some life advice. <laughs> life advice from Vinny Stigma. Wow. Wow. I went, yeah, I, Roger just put out a book. And why isn't somebody writing one for Vinny? There's going to be, there's half, there, has there, to be, has, right? there has to be a stigma but it movie, just be, it's not a, a book, a stigma movie. Yeah, there should be both. Oh, I think there is. I mean, there? his one-liners and his quotes alone. But the thing about stigma is if you put him on the spot, it doesn't happen. Right. But if you just follow, he's like a walking soundbite, just follow him around with a microphone and you're yeah. just going to get genius it's stuff off all the cuff shit. Yeah. yeah. We had his birthday party here when AF played and, uh, and he came out to the Rocky theme. <laughs> What's the stuff called? Love I was what, one of my favorite hardcore guitar players. Yeah, for real. Yeah, fucking... You know, for real. And yeah, you guy... know, people talk about his like technical limitations, but riff-wise, incredible. Well, all I got to say is when people try to say like, "Oh, Stigma can't play," watch that video um, from A7. Right? I don't know if you guys. Have seen I, that, that video is amazing. Okay. Yes. It's in Drew's and, movie. So it's AF at, at A7. At A7, I'm playing bass. It's okay. like the earliest footage of AF. And um, is that '83? Yeah, it was '83. And and stigma is playing like over the hills and far away, and like as we're like making noise, getting ready to go on. There's a close up of stigma, and he's like finger like, so don't don't let him fool you. Stigma can play. He's a regular a, Jimmy a, Page. It's a well kept secret. Yeah. <laughs> hey, anybody who can get up on stage with a gaff tape cigarette pack. Yeah. With a with a cable going into it and get away with it. That guy rules. Yeah. I, mean, I, come I on. yeah. The first time I played with. Madball, I opened for Madball, the show on Long Island, and we were all like, "Is it? He's not plugged in. He's not plugged in. What the fuck? Yeah, like how is this possible? But you yeah, can't I, take your eyes off him. No. <laughs> no, I mean he's so engaging, regardless. Yeah, he's he's a fucking really I love f- fun guy. AF, you know those guys. Um, How'd you get in the band? There was uh, Adam Mucci that they had recorded United Blood, but it hadn't come out yet. And Adam Mucci was playing; he was the bass player on United Blood and he was also a Murphy's Law at the time so I can't remember if it was AF or Murphy's Law somebody gave him an ultimatum I think it was AF gave him an ultimatum like you gotta pick between one or the other and he chose Murphy's Law so AF needed a bass player and there was this like you know run down you know punk rock crash pad that we all kind of slept at on 2nd Street and there was a shitty bass there and I picked it up and I started playing like NIB or something and Roger was like you know because at that time uh, very few people, I think, could get their head around playing a Sabbath song. Right. Here I am, like, playing... So you were a next-level musician at 12 to them. Well, I wouldn't say next level, but, I mean, I could play NIB okay. Yeah, and, good enough. And, um, and Roger was just like, oh, shit, this kid can play. Do you want to be in the band? And he's like, how old are you? And I was 12, and I was like, I'm 16. Yeah. <laughs> 
So that's did how you, I ended were up you in the, were you the were you the uh, uh, the first the first super young guy to be in a, a New York hardcore band? Did, well, you, Harley, did you start Harley, the trend? Harley predates Harley, oh, Harley, right? Um, yeah, of course. Harley was like ten, right? Yeah, there's a, there was, was nine, a few of us that were around that were young back then. Yeah, and that was you know Harley, uh, Eric Casanova, the Beastie Boys and, guys were young too. Yeah, but I don't you know those Jesse. guys they didn't really hang out. They weren't like the Beasties. They weren't at A7 every night. They weren't hanging out right. in the park every night. You know what I right. mean? What about um, Jesse? I mean, Heart Attack, he was really young. Yeah, Jesse, I think he was like 15. Yeah. You know? um, and I think that's why a lot of the early stuff really wasn't documented, because we were all too young, and it was just like we were creating. We I never thought... You're living in the know, moment. 30 years later, some kid's going to cry hearing As One from Warzone. You know what I right. mean? Right, like, yeah. You know, we were just doing it. We were living, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no one had video cameras. Either. No, that's why that one, <laughs> no. when that footage of AF came up with me playing, it was just like, whoa. If you had a video camera in that, that neighborhood at that incredible. time, it was gonna get, you're going to get robbed. Well, there wasn't even VHS yet. It was yeah. beta. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. It beta. It's fucking real to real. It's such a different world now. But when you look for video footage from that time, from any city, much less New York, I mean, there's almost none. Yeah, there's you know? really, really none. Except much. California, because they were doing some of the bigger venues. Bands like Dead Kennedys were playing and, bigger and rooms. And the kids in California had money. And they had more, they had they their they shit together. they were able to, you know, put yeah. out records and stuff. Exactly. Because they weren't worrying about, like, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Where yeah. am I going to sleep tonight? Yeah. You know, they had their mom and dad's house. They had the well, garage. It, it, was already, it was already suburban. Yeah, at that yeah. Point. you know. Um, you know, we were just street rats trying to survive. Yeah. You know, so you were are you uh, you were born Lower born East Side? Born and raised, yeah. yeah. Born and raised in New York. My kids are fourth fourth generation Lower East Side. Oh wow! How old are your kids? Twenty eight and twenty six. Wow! Damn, you are old. I am old. <laughs> I am Todd Middle Age now. Now on to be referred to Probably as not, Todd though. Middle like, Age. I, I won't ask if you, you know if you don't want to what? say reveal your your actual age. Forty seven. Forty seven. Yeah, so, forty seven. So is Ron. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Mitch. Hey, but you know what? I see guys. That are forty-seven, and they don't look as young as me. No, you know, Hell I mean? no. they look like old dudes. Yeah, like yeah. miserable, balding, fat. Like yeah. life yeah. is over. Just because we're living the life we choose yeah. to live. But Rock you know, kept me young. Yeah. there's something Actually, about. I'm forty-eight. This, this, I just remember. I'm forty-eight. You're forty-eight. Yeah. 48. That's how you know you're getting old. Yeah. Because I was convinced I turned forty-eight, and then my wife's like, "No, no, no, honey, you're forty-seven." <laughs> oh, okay. I bugged out the day. I never cared about my age. You know, I always felt if I was young and hard, and I. Just glad I wasn't blowing my head off. But once I got past 25, I was like, I well, guess I made it. There's a reason why guys like us keep our hair, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's, so. It's, uh, but I, I thought it was going to be turned... all over for me at 21. I thought life was Well, I, thought, I didn't think I'd live past 25. Yeah, so I when I woke up done. 25, I was like, I guess I got to kind of start to figure my life right. out. <laughs> but the only reason I, the only day I felt old was the day I turned 45, I realized I'm closer to 50 than 40. And that did something in my head where I was like. You know what? I'm actually looking forward to turning 50 now because it's like I've gone through all the bullshit you know what I mean right I, I've I lived through it when I'm 50 it's like I get to sit kind of be like okay you know what I mean yeah. I made it here um, and you can celebrate and you kind of have being to hope you. that you're a lot smarter now than you were when you were 21 yeah I mean I you still know, do stupid shit all the time but you know <laughs> well well I mean coming from this climate and world musically I think we all do yeah you know Probably what brought us here in the first place, directly or indirectly. Well, I mean, you know, for me, when I got when I got into hardcore, I remember uh, the first first band I saw was the Bad Brains at CBGBs, right? And I walked in, and what year? How old were you then? I was twelve, okay, uh, eighty-two, right? And, and did you know, like, what did you know about? Well, I had hardcore gotten, I had gotten into to punk rock. Uh, there was a magazine 
you guys are all my age. You probably remember Rock Scene. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Okay, so I used to get Rock Scene religiously because I loved Kiss, right? Worship. I mean, I was a Kiss freak, and and it's funny because a lot of the people that you know you, you grew up with our age, like if they were into like Led Zeppelin and Skinner, they became like normal people, you know. But Definitely. if you were into Kiss. Alice Cooper, Cheap Trick. It was a different you got attitude. Into punk rock. Yeah. Most yeah. of the people I knew, they ended up, you know, morphing into punk rock. So I used to get rock scene religiously, and um, you know, they start talking about punk rock, and I'm seeing these pictures of the Sex Pistols, and these guys got like these, you know, Sid Vicious, Johnny Rotten, and they're spitting, and it's like they look wild, and I was just like, whoa. And then um, there was one issue when they they had Iggy in it, and they called Iggy the Godfather of punk. So my dad used to take me record shopping once a month, and you know I'd get one record, and I'd be able to go through the budget bin the night. Right. That's what I used to do, yep. and, and pick out one of those, right? So they had Iggy Pop TVI Live in the cutout, and I went home. The one with the red cover, yeah, right? It's yeah. awful sounding. It I mean, sounds atrocious, but, but it's band still great. Is so badass. I mean, yeah. it's got the, the Sales Brothers, you know, uh, Bowie on keyboards, Carlos yeah. Alomar. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know, the musicianship. And I get home and I put it on my turn, my little flip top stereo, right? And um, that was like from the 60s or something. And I put it on and TVI was the first song. And there's a breakdown in that on the live record where he goes, I got a TV, you got a TV, we all got TVs, big fucking deal. And it was the first time I heard a curse on a record. I was like, <gasps> I turned it down and I put it back and I'm like, just Whoa, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. My mom's going to hear this. <laughs> yeah. you I'm going to be in trouble. And then that was it. And then I got, <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're first kind of figuring it out, like, you know, I bought, I probably bought like the Romantics or the B-52s the same day I bought, you know, Nevermind the Bollocks. Or, right, you know, of course. Remotes, yeah. leave home. You know what I mean? So it was like. You're searching. Uh, yeah, I was searching. I was figuring out what was, I mean, now as, as a, you know, that I'm older, like the Romantics record's amazing. Well, they're all cool now in context. Genius. And, you but know. we're looking for anger and yeah, energy yeah. and attitude. Then. And, no. and so somehow at the record store, they had a little import section. And they had this EP. Remember and, those? Yeah. And it, was, <laughs> and it was an EP from England. I think it was called Total Noise. And it had the business. Four skins, Blitz, maybe, right? Gomez, I have that seven inch. And Dead yep. Generation. Dead yes. Generation does Francine from Sk uh, ZZ Top, and it's a bitching cover. I have, I have that single. Amazing cover. And, um, and that was kind of where it just went, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is a little harder, a little angrier. And um, next thing you know, you're in AF. No. Yeah, well, <laughs> next thing I you know, I'm at, I'm at CB's. A friend of mine was like, okay, you know, let's go check out this band. And. You know, back then you could be 12 years old and go into CBG. Right. No one was going to stop you. I was it go. was it look fucking super packed or was it like yeah, it was yeah. insane. Yeah, but I mean, you know, back then you could. I 12 years old, I could walk into a bodega and buy a quart of oh, beer. Yeah. Oh, you could do that for years. Yeah, so, you know what I mean. It's only, and, that's a recent thing you can't and, do. <laughs> and so I remember I walked in and I just looked at look. I was just looking around at the people and outside. You know, everybody's hanging out outside before they went on, and I'm like, wow. You know, these people look as fucked up. As I feel inside. Exactly. You know what I mean? So then it was like within the first 20 seconds of the brain's playing, it just, you know, when you hear people talk about like, oh, it turned from black and white to color. My life just, just switched and it was never the same in the best way possible. Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, if it wasn't for that band, I'd probably never been hit to, to, to being a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, you know, spirituality, forget about the musical stuff. I mean, they were, to me... They I, hit you on every level. I worship, and I, and I, 
you know, when people say like the blood clot record, oh, it sounds like the bad brains. I'm like, yeah, and that's a bad thing. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> right? You know, it I is worship. a cool. Speaking of the the, the the record is really cool. It's like uh, has uh, it's recorded really interesting. Uh-huh. You know, it's uh, it definitely it's it's not. I'm not gonna say it has a retro feel to it, but it's interesting. And it's something I was gonna bring up to you because of all these bands, like you know, uh, most of the later '80s bands that are still like kicking, not dead. But like the Grill Biscuits and right. and uh, you know you today went at like what's up with like the uh, how does it feel making music that you made because you've done so many things musically you know it's, which is awesome because there's a lot of people who never get out of the hardcore thing. Right. It, um, well, I was always I always thought of myself as a musician first right you know hardcore guy second right you so right. was it like and like, that's something else I learned from playing the that style of music though at your age uh-huh. at all your guys age like how did that feel is it like was it refreshing was it liberating was it like it was completely liberating and refreshing because I had gone for so many years of you know because it's a youth culture yeah. you know like that style of music is a youth culture and technically at once you hit you know 22 you should right. be done with it you know uh, I'm a lifer right you know no, what no, I mean I, it, and all the things or almost all the things I've done you know after you know whatever Murphy's Law um, there was some punk rock or hardcore. There's always a punk energy in everything. Or at you least do. a connection there. You're like you know Danzig, I mean? like obviously. Danzig you know? was me, Joey C., Howie Pyro. Howie Pyro was with Sid Vicious the day he died. How much more punk rock can you get? You know what I mean? Um, and Glenn. You know what I mean? So we were all guys who came. We were all guys who came from the hardcore scene. Right. Um, so it had that kind of energy. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Glenn Campbell, not so much, but I will say this, those country dudes, they make like rock dudes and, and hardcore dudes, you know, look like pussies, you know? And I mean? they can play really well. And they can play their asses off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was really refreshing. And the thing is, is and I feel like, because I do check for all the, the newer bands, you know, and I still go to shows and all that kind of stuff. But because of growing up, I think when I did, and, and came up when I did. You know, this kind of shit is in my DNA. It's not like something I've learned. It's not something that I analyzed. It's just something, and it, for all of us in this band, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's in it. It's part of it's, who you are. It's in our DNA. It's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's true. I, so. I, I, like, yeah, I'm, I definitely, like, I grew up with, in metal, hardcore. With, I'm from Long Island, and we were, that scene was... <laughs> <laughs> the, it's, I'm 44, so the difference in our age is like, you right. know, th- there's those three or four years. It's a big difference. You, yeah, you'd miss Music so wise, much. it's a whole it's generation. A yeah. Hardcore wise. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 uh, and also geographically, growing right. up on Long Island, like, you know, if you, if you weren't adventurous, you weren't going to find anything, you know? Did you hear he went into the city? Yeah, exactly. He went into the city. <laughs> when I got into hardcore, I had no one to go to shows with. So right. for two years, I was just buying records out of Maximum Rock and Roll and getting lucky if they came to Long Island. Right. But you know, no one had a license. I lived an hour and change away. I right. was like, and I knew nobody at the hardcore. Yeah, it's it was like one kid. Right. And uh, he never. He was my age. He was like fifteen. We had right. no way to get to shows. We, it was strictly. We were living through zines and WNYU. Like, yeah, right. we, we almost had it harder. We almost had it harder out in the suburbs because you didn't <laughs> yeah. have YouTube. You know what I mean? You didn't yeah. have these things now. You know, back then. You I know, know but it right. was so much more fun. Nothing. You know, Nothing. I, I was talking about it with somebody the other day. I was like. Somehow my wife was blowing me up on the phone or something, and I'm just like, God, you know, remember back in the day when you'd go on the road, and it was like you really were—you were like pirates out there. Like yeah. nobody could get in touch. I miss with that. You. Yeah. I miss that. Yeah, if you, you called once, I mean? home, yeah. like I call home once a day, and it was good. Not even. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I, I disappeared. Fake thing you put up to the, to the yeah, that, that made the, made the yeah. noise. <laughs> my parents thought I was dead. <laughs> the radio shack or like the stolen, uh, the stolen credit card number. Oh yes, yep. And then 
after a tour, like my, my ex-wife now, she would always get the phone call from like whoever. Like, you were getting uh, phone calls from this credit card number every day for the past, you know, two months. Do you know who that is? <laughs> nope. You know what I mean? I lo- I lo- like that, and it's funny how long that lasted. Like, right. the, especially the Radio Shack thing. It was like even how did that not even get shut down 90s. immediately? Because the whole 90s, tours, it was like each bands would I give them to each other. Yeah, whole tours. Every musician I knew did it. Whole tours would be booked on those stolen credit card <laughs> numbers. <laughs> whole tours that kept punk alive. Yeah. And I think they all came through the Navy or something. That's what I've, I always heard. I've, Is that the origin of it? Yeah. I just used them the until Navy they got so cut off. Yeah, they get shut off. And, yeah. So after AF, Warzone was the next band. Yeah, I had to. Um, was that eighty six or eighty five? I, I had I was you know a runaway in and um, my parents because I hadn't gone to school in so long and I'm only in seventh grade. My parents were starting to get hassled where they they were going to get in trouble for neglect or whatever. So they had to turn it around and be like, "He's incorrigible minor." I got sent back home. I, I had to quit AF. It lasted like three months and I was back out on the street. And that's when. Um, that's when actually first me and Ray had a band called Skinhead Youth right after uh, I left AF, and then that kind of morphed. Like a lot of those songs ended up turned into Warzone, Warzone songs, song. right? And that was the first thing Ray sang, and and uh, and yeah, then we started Warzone, and you know we did that for a couple of years. Revelations, the seven number inch, one. and also you didn't play on it, but you wrote the majority of the songs that end up on Don't Forget the I Struggle, wrote everything right? Everything on Don't for, Don't Forget the Struggle, except. That intro, and I think it's a song called "Growing Up Next Step" or something. I think it's on that record. It's everything else, everything else was yeah. from your era. Yeah, I was yeah, like you know, 13, 14 years old when I when I wrote all those songs, and and that you know it does bug me out that the shit that I wrote when I was fourteen, like we did this rabies tribute thing in two thousand twelve for Black yeah. and Blue, and that was great. Um, and I looked down right before we kicked in the ass one, and there's this kid, 16, 17 years old. Pressed up against, pressed up against the stage. When we kicked into it, he started crying. And I was like, "Wow, you know what I mean?" It's powerful. Yeah. So, um, Vinny played. My good friend of mine played in that. Vinny. Okay. Yeah. 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 We're gonna do another one actually. October first. Uh, it's September 11th is gonna be the 20th anniversary of Ray dying. So, uh, oh my 1st, God, it's 20 do, years. Um, another one of those like tributes to Ray. Is he gonna be in the city? Yeah, we're going to do it in Tompkins Square Park, actually. Oh, you're doing the thing with Cousin yeah, Joe? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be awesome. So, um, that's, I'm really looking forward to That'll that. That'll be great. And a fitting tribute. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's the thing with that. It's like, I'll only do it, you know, if it makes sense. You know, right. it ain't about the money or anything. It's about going out playing them songs. And, of course. And everybody kind of celebrating Ray. Yeah, no, that's a great thing. And that's going to be huge. Yeah. The so, last year's one with Bad Brains was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, October 1st, that's happening. With Cro-Mags and yeah. Token Entry. That was great last year. So that, that's, that's a perfect set yeah. uh, follow-up. Well, that's the thing. is like we got offered somewhere else, another venue. And then when Joe hit me up about it, I was like, yeah, it will make sense. You know I mean? It's the park we hung out in and, you know, yeah. there. That's cool. Right across street from May 7th. Right, I mean, exactly. it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So they, And then I did Warzone. And then... Um, so how'd you get into Murphy's Law? They were... Uh, Who hasn't been to Murphy's Law? Yeah, right? I haven't been yet. <laughs> Some of my band members have. Um, <laughs> you know, they were going out with the Beasties. Yeah. And uh, the first record was just coming out, and they wanted to add a second guitar player to just kind of beef up the sound. And one night me and Jimmy were hanging out. He was like, dude, you should play. And I was like, you know, I... It was like I, it could have been the only chance I ever had to get out of the tri-state area. Right. You know what I mean? So I kind of jumped at it. People got bummed out on me for it, you know, thinking I was a sellout or this, that, you know, right. 16 years old, whatever. 
Um, what was the license to Ill Tour? License right? to Ill Tour, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, another one of them, you know, life defining moments because that's sort of when I became like a quote unquote professional musician. You know yeah. what I mean? My first tour. And, I mean, with Murphy's Law, kind of. We started up here, and then it all went downhill. Like, we started in a tour bus, <laughs> then we went into a Winnebago, then a van and a trailer. With and you went back to punk rock life. Then van, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, but, you know. But the whole time, Jimmy Gestapo was inventing fun. He is fun personified. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's fun. no doubt about that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, 16 years old, and I'm on tour with the, oh, that's the number one band in the country playing arenas yeah. at 16. It's surreal. Yeah, it was surreal. And I'd never left the tri-state area at that point. So I get on a plane. I went on tour. On that tour, I had two Pathmark plastic shopping bags with my luggage. Um, Dude, you fucking kidding I'm me. I'm serious. I'm totally serious. I uh, went on that tour. I had two. thought bags, I was bad. You know. <laughs> I'm pretty bad, too, but that's and, great. Uh, I had a, a fake ID that said I was 34. <laughs> That I got in Times Square and I had a baseball 34. hat. I had a baseball Why hat. 34? I don't know. And I had a baseball hat flipped up to the side in the photo. <laughs> That's insane. Um, That's a, imagine the balance you're getting it. But I got arrested on that tour in Providence. Um, some, we had a fight with the security, Providence Civic Center. The cops come in the dressing room after the show, and some security guy points at me. He's like, yeah, that's the one who hit me with a bottle, and I got arrested. And the only ID I had was this fake 42nd Street ID with a baseball hat on flipped up backwards that said I was 34. It's insane. They're like, what are we going to do with this guy? <laughs> I'm sure they got a good chuckle out of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, you know, meeting the guys from Fishbone who become lifelong friends now. And, um, you know, the Beasties took such good care of us, man. We got, they paid for a tour bus for us. Wow. You know, we got five cases of beer, a bottle of Jack, a bottle of uh, vodka. So, I mean, they just took care of us, you know. And um, that was it. I was just from there on out. Then, you know, I was... You know, we made Back with a Bomb. Um, and then the more, third record, too. More to, oh, that's one of those ones where I'm just like, oh, I wish we didn't. That's know. the only one that I. That's a stinker. Let's, yeah. Still let's great live. Let's but, call it what it is. But <laughs> still great. should have never been made. Well, the thing is, is we got. We, we still got, great live at that point, though. Because I was oh, seeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just the record itself wasn't. It was terrible. Because um, we went into. So we got a deal with Relativity, right? Right. And they gave us a kind of a big deal for the time. But we had no songs. We hadn't written anything. Obviously, Murphy's Law has never been known for being a very prolific Not prolific. Band, but, you know. Oh, try because you did Ebony and Ivory with... Um, oh, please. Uh, I'm sorry. Those, those are face burners, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to... Face burners. Do the Ultraviolence cover on that as well, don't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because Tommy ended up playing bass on it. It's, yeah. it's very, very... Thrown confusing. together, basically. Very confusing period of my life. Um, so the album was thrown together. the gay straight thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, after Stigma's advice. Yeah, you just sounded like Stigma. <laughs> hey, I don't know. Good. Um, but, uh, you know, we didn't have any songs, and all of a sudden they're like, well, you have to go make this record now in, in California, Fishbone producing. We, we didn't have any songs, so we just went out to California, and it was like, all right, fuck it. And I turned 21 out there on that record. And, you know, we were driving, we rented Lincoln Continental hotels, like nice big studio. And we just sat around and smoked a lot of herb and, and got fucked up all the time and just kind of made up shit on the spot. And that's why you have Ebony and Ivory and all those other <laughs> great songs on that record. Those Murphy's Law classics. Yeah. Um, and then um, 
And then that's kind of was the beginning of my like coming and going in Murphy's Law. Was like shortly after that. Yeah. You know, I I quit. I'd come back. And um, and then we did uh, Dedicated, which I, I that's a good record. It's probably my favorite Murphy's Law yeah. record from start to finish. That's a good record. You know. Um, and then when we were touring Dedicated is when I finally I finally left Murphy's Law. In Des Moines, Iowa, had well, that was the last show I did, and um, and then after that, me and uh, Dean Rispler started a band called The Home Records. Very little known. Uh, yes. We only did a couple of gigs. We did a seven-inch. Dean's a good friend of mine since childhood. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I've known him. He grew up in the next town. We know each other as, as like twelve-year-old metal kids. The nicest guy in, in rock and roll, Dean Rispler. Uh, Still rocking with Ross the Boss. And uh, and he's got the best hair ever. It does. Um, I saw it last night. <laughs> it's so, bigger than ever. We we did this band, and because um, at that point, I, I, I was like, you know, I had kids, and, and me and Mike's wife, Kate, had opened this vegetarian restaurant up in the Lower East Side, and, you know, I was like, ah, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, do the restaurant thing and, you know, be a stay-at-home dad kind of deal, and so we started the, the home records. We did the 7-inch. Uh, 007 Records put it out. He sold 300 right away. And then the remaining 700 were in the towers. He worked in, at the World Trade Center. Oh, no way. Yeah. No. So uh, he wasn't at work that day when the towers yeah, went yeah. down, thank God. But the records, the other remaining 700 got destroyed. And um, and then right around then is when I got hit up to play in uh, Degeneration. And, um, you know, I thought I was joining the New York Dolls. And I ended up joining the Counting Crows. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is that reflective on what Jesse does now? Or <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean, he was definitely already heading in that direction. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, that band was so dysfunctional. And uh, somebody from Columbia told me, like, you know, you guys were the, the second largest failure in Columbia Records wow. history. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty saying rad. something. Yeah. I was like, but who's I'd put that on my resume one? first. Who's number one? I want to know who number one is. Did they, they tell you? Tell me. No, oh, that tell sucks. Me. Uh, but you but, managed to play New York 12 times a week still. Right. Yeah. I mean, DJ Generation played every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, at the time, DJ was the big band in New York. And, and like I said, I thought it was like I was joining the New York Dolls, and that was yeah. not the case. And you can listen to that record I did with them through the darkness, and you can, you know. Not a very good well, record. Well, you know, on a, they, well, how many major label deals did DJ have? Like four? No, two. <laughs> two. They had, the they had two. And Sony. And they had a few singles in the beginning, yeah. which um, I forget what label, but they put two. Tonka, yes. Which was uh, Pat. That was the. White, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, label. from White Flag. <laughs> um, and then so uh, me and Michael ended up quitting Degeneration before the record came out because I just knew I saw the writing on the wall and it just wasn't what I was into. And then me and Michael started a band called Chrome Locust. Which was a great Thank you. record. Yeah, thanks, man. And um, that record's really underrated. I mean, yeah. It's a shame people don't know it. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and um, should reissue that. Thing. I'm gonna try and reissue. You it. absolutely I'm admit should. I've never heard it. And put it on oh, fucking vinyl. It's, it's like Sabbath meets the Bad Range. You know it's what it. I mean? Um, but really hooky. But hooky. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. And um, so, uh, it should be on vinyl. Yeah. Because well, I'm CD actually only. talking to a guy right now about doing vinyl. You really should. I, I love that record. Um, and then right around then is when I got the call to, um, it was funny, it was all within one week I got asked to join Danzig or audition for the Foo Fighters. Right? So at that point, me and my first wife's marriage is kind of falling apart. The DJ thing was a nightmare. Um, 
And I was like, all right, what's going to be more fun? Because I don't give a shit about the money. I never have. If I cared about the money, I probably wouldn't be doing this now. Um, and I was like, I'm going to have a lot more fun on a Danzig tour than I am on a Foo Fighters tour, you know, especially at that point. <laughs> and, and it, you know, Joey and me, our drummer of Blood Clot, he, we had met in 84 or 85 when Wasted, he used to play in LA's Wasted Youth. Yeah. They came and played a matinee. There wasn't a lot of people, but I was like, just Oh, I didn't know him. you knew him already from oh, back yeah. then. I mean, I knew so he was, was in Wasted Youth, but I, I didn't realize. I was watching him just like, God, this guy's just such an animal. Oh, no, yeah. Back then. And they ended up breaking down in New York, so we ended up hanging out for like a week. And we always became, you know, we always stayed friends whenever I'd be in LA, he'd come out, or when he, he was in a band called Sugar Tooth for a while, when they mm-hmm. would play New York, I always go and hang. So he was a drummer at Danzig. Which is the, the record, by the way, that Chuck Val was working on, correct? Yeah. When oh, that, no, he was touring with them. Touring with them, yes. Touring, yeah. When that incident when happened. Died. Yeah. Um, that was terrible. Which is actually the anniversary, I think, was just last week, a Chuck passing. You know it was? Jimmy posted it on yeah, Facebook. Um, it's like 23 or 24 years, crazy, right? Crazy, man. That was tragic. But so, I, you know, I mean, yeah, I was a Misfits fan, and I, I really liked Sam Hain, and, you know, first couple dancing records, like, you know, whatever. But I really wanted to play with Joe. That's what made me join dancing, right. was I was like, I'm just going to go play with this dude. And I went out to California, and... Um, I ended up doing the Sam Hain reunion tour in 99 and Danzig, so I was doing double duty every night. And um, and then from there, you know, being in California, and it just kind of started snowballing. And when I was in Danzig, I got a deal with my own thing called the Chelsea Smiles, which is a really funny story if you guys want to hear it. Of course. Sure. It's actually a really That's why funny we're story. here. So I'm in Danzig, and... You know, Danzig, Danzig. Glenn Danzig writes everything. Like, I get that. Going into it, I've seen guys make the mistake of thinking they're going to come into Danzig and change things. It's like, no. It's no. Danzig show. Control it freak. It it's his thing. Yeah. So, um, we used to rehearse at a place called Mates in the Valley. And um, it's like an SIR where, like, you know, Marilyn Manson will be in one room. Kiss will be in another room. Motorhead in another room. And... Um, the owners of New York guys, and we became really good friends. And anytime he'd have a cancellation, he'd call me up and be like, hey, you know, if you want this room for the weekend, sure. So I had this little garage thing I was doing just for fun, just so I could keep writing. And um, we go in there, we, have, we only have five songs. We probably played together a total of three, four times, right? And we blast through our five-song set that we have, and Joe Elliott... And Phil Collins and Def Leppard come busting in the room. And they're like, man, you guys are fucking brilliant. And it's that kind of place. So I'm like, hey, thanks a lot, man. Shake your hand, whatever. They're like, Andrew WK just pulled off our tour. We want you to come. And I'm just like <laughs> laughing. I'm like, we don't even have a fucking name, right? And I had a Danzig European tour to go do. So I, I go to Europe with Danzig. And then Bobby, the owner of Mates, calls me up. And he's like, he's like dude, Peter Mensch. And Bernstein, they keep calling here, find, trying to find out who this baby band was that was rehearsing at Mates. They really want to take you on tour. You guys know who Peter meant. Yeah, 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 of course. Right? Um, so as a joke, I go, Bobby, I go, Bobby, tell him I don't want to play to like 50-year-old rock guys wearing 30-year-old rock T-shirts. Just kidding. Now, Bobby's a New Yorker, and he's a wise-ass, and he don't give a fuck if you're Peter Mensch or fucking Cliff Bernstein. So he's like, yeah, you know, Mensch, uh, he, the guy said he don't want to play to 50-year-old rock guys in 30-year-old rock T-shirts. Before I get home from that European dancing tour, word is spread all over fucking the industry in Los Angeles. Who is this baby band who just told Peter Mensch to go fuck himself? Like, they didn't know my history or anything, right? 
And I get home from that tour, and I have every major label in Los Angeles trying to sign my band that didn't exist and didn't have a name and only had five songs. <laughs> so I'm like, well, fuck it. I got to run with this one. You know what uh, I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, we do a couple of showcases, and then Capitol Records offered me a half a million dollars. So I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm taking it. You know what I mean? I'm going for it. And that's, I did that for a few years. And then from that, record never came out. But this, what year was this? 2003. Okay. And why did it never come out? What happened? Uh, you know, I think we were a tax write-off for Capital, in all honesty. Right, right. You know what I mean? Um, the EP came out. An EP came out on Capital. And then we went out on tour with the Backyard Babies. And then they dropped us. But... Um, and we ended up two hundred fifty thousand dollars over budget somehow. But oh, awesome. I had like I had Billy Preston coming. I was yeah, like, dude, you had fun. Three on this song. Get, get me Billy Preston. And sure <laughs> enough, there's Billy Preston. I'm like, holy fuck, I could really, you know, I'm like, yeah, I need, a, I need like a, a whirly, you know, electric piano thing on this song. Can, can you guys fly in Ian McCoggan from the Faces? You know, sure. And they fly him in. That's incredible. You know what I mean? I'm like, look, Ian, all I really need you to do is, you know, that, you know, that lick and, and stay with me. Yeah. I flew him in just to do that on one song. You know what I mean? I was, I was so just insane. going for it, dude. I was just going for it. You prick. And, um, <laughs> and, but then from that, you know, it's like, you know, uh, Phil, uh, Motorhead were on the Hammer Tour, and I became really good friends with those dudes. And um, so I get the call on a Friday night at 6 o'clock from Todd Singerman, Motorhead's manager, and uh, he's like, hey, look, Bill Campbell's mom just passed away. They got five shows left on the tour. Could you finish it out? And I'm like, Whoa. you know, Motorhead, next to the Bad Range, probably my favorite band of all time. Yeah. Like, if anybody asks, you know, who do I think I sound like as a guitar player, it's Fast Eddie. I mean, him and Ace Freely were like my guys growing up playing. So I'm thinking to myself, like, Okay, I'll have till Tuesday or Wednesday because he's got to fly back to Wales for the funeral and everything. And he's like, okay, I need you on a plane Sunday, 6 a.m. You got to do your first show Sunday night. And I'm like, fuck, you better get me the set list right now. So from Friday night until I got on that plane, I didn't sleep. I just would pound coffee, take little cat naps, and just practice and practice and practice, learn everything. The old stuff I knew, you know, or if I didn't know it, it's just like, okay, this is where my hands go. Yeah. But some of the newer stuff I had to kind of go in on. And I just wanted to. I wanted to do that justice because, like, you know, I love Phil Campbell to death, and I think he's a brilliant guitar player, but, you know, he's a little bit of a wheedler, you know what I mean? And, you know, so I really, I went into it and just tried to play it as close to Fast Eddie Clark as I humanly possibly could. And kids were, or kids, fans, the Motorhead fans really flipped out on how bitching it was. And um, one show we did was with me and Phil on guitars. The first show was me and Phil on guitars together. And Lemmy wanted me to join the band because it was wow. so much power. Yeah. But I guess Mickey didn't want to cut me in as a fourth, so it didn't happen. Fucking Mickey. Oh. The stiff-ass drummer anyway. Oh, come on. I love Mickey. No, I'm kidding. We're King Diamond <laughs> Freaks, so yeah, Mickey needs sake with us. No. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, from there, it just it, the kind of the session thing started snowball, and then it was like... You know, I'm playing on this record, I'm playing on that record, and somehow I end up on a Glenn Campbell session, and, um, and I did his uh, his comeback record at the time. And Now, did you write on that at all? Or no, just... no, that was all covers, I think, right. the first one. Um, and, and I rejoined Danzig in 2007, so I'm looking at going on tour with Glenn Campbell 
are going out on tour with Glenn Danzig. You know, and that was like kind of a heavy decision for me because it was like, okay, do I go do some different shit musically, or you know, am I going to go out and you know, three full stacks and buses and crew and all that kind of stuff? Like, you know, and I really it was a hard decision, but I'm really glad I chose to go out with Glenn Campbell because then all of a sudden I get the itinerary. We were do, the first thing was a UK run, and it was like Royal Festival Hall, all these like bitching halls. Uh, we were doing a, a date with the BBC Symphony, and the rehearsals ended up being at Abbey Road. Oh, wow. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was That's awesome. once-in-a-lifetime uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, Glenn was a super cool guy, and, and you know, people don't realize what a badass guitar player he uh, was. Incredible songwriter. That too, guy yeah. was like, you know, he was a guitar player in the Wrecking Crew. You know, he played on everything from Strangers yeah. in the Night to Last Train to Clarksville, Pet Sounds. Like, he's the guy, yeah. you know? And um, so I learned a lot playing with him. He was a sweetheart. And then, um, and then this is a little known fact. Then I get asked to put Michael Monroe's new solo band together. Oh man! And so I switch. do. I write a bunch of songs with Michael. And um, now, were you a Noi Rocks fan or no? Yeah, yeah, I like the Noi Rocks. Okay. I mean, sometimes I think their songs kind of went on too long, too many parts or whatever. But you know, yeah, I, I love Andy McCoy rules. You know, I love Andy McCoy's guitar playing. Um, and Sammy's like one of the greatest rock and roll bass players of all time. Yeah. And um, so I, I end up getting a phone call right as I'm putting that together from Ace Freely. So this is like... You're God. This is, yeah, this is like, it doesn't, you know, like... At first I'm like, yeah, all right, who the fuck is this? Come on, you know what I mean? And he's like, oh, no, how could you, yeah, how could you mistake Ace? Listen, <laughs> you know, I got this tour of Australia coming up. I want to see if you maybe want to play. And I'm like... Your imitation of Ace actually sounded a little like Ace Freely as Mike Tyson. <laughs> so, you know, and then I'm like, okay, so, you know, when do you want to do an audition or whatever? And he's like, oh, how about you meet me at Barney's Beanery and we'll just get something to eat and talk. And I'm like, oh, awesome. <laughs> and so I meet with Ace and we hit it off and I'm like, okay, you know, it was Australia I was doing with him first. And I was like, we're going to rehearse before. He's like, he's like, oh, you know the songs, right? And I'm like, well, I know your parts, but I, you know. <laughs> right. He's like, oh, maybe we'll just sit down in the hotel and just practice. I'm like, <laughs> that's how rock and roll he is, you know what I mean? And um, so I did that for a few years, and then um, and then John had a Chromax gig. And this is, gets us into blood clot. Unless you guys want to go into any of the other stuff at all, or well, no, yeah, whatever. Uh, we're we're gonna go. have to wrap it up. Oh uh, yeah, this, John yeah. Approach, screaming right now. Yeah, uh, and nothing's louder than that. He's harder now, dude. Because I see Negative Approach back in, you know, 83, 84. He's ferocious, man. Dude, he doesn't even sing some of the words. And, I'm, and that's cool with me. Because he just screams this primal <laughs> yeah. rage. It's just, it's just like, whoa. It's primal you know? growling. But he's the nicest guy in the world. The nicest guy in the world. He's so cool. And he's such a music geek like all of us. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. That, that, goes without, that goes without Alice saying, Cooper, I think. Ken. All the Detroit Fox, stuff. Yeah. Huge Hours for him. with him. Yeah. Know? Super cool. If you're still doing this at this point. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so the Chromex had a gig, and AJ's mom had passed away. So John calls me up. He's like, "Hey, we got this gig. Another one of those, like Wednesday, five o'clock. I need you on a plane Friday. You know, no sound check, no nothing. Can you do it?" And I'm like, "Oh hell yeah!" So I fly out. I land at eight fifteen. I'm on stage at nine. <laughs> back to the airport at midnight, flying back to LA. And it was killer. And it was really good for me and John to reconnect. We'd been roommates back in the day, and. So we started talking about doing some stuff, and I'm like, all right, you know, I got some songs, and I started emailing him some demos, and he came out to L.A. before he was supposed to go race in Kona, I think, and 
he ended up while he was training in LA like messed up his his calf or something so he couldn't do the race and I'm like well let me let me call the studio see if I can get us some free time we went in and we cut the demos and um, Slagle heard him and and you know offered us to do the record that's awesome and that's how that's how it all kind of came together Black. And, you know, and they're and, a great label. Me and Joe, oh, the best. They and are. Me and Joe have been talking about doing something for years like this. Um, he's a busy guy. So, he's so it connected a lot of dots for you. It yeah, worked out yeah. perfectly. And, you know, I mean, it's... Even though me and Nick hadn't played together before, you know, the fact that Nick and Joe had played together for so long. Yeah. The fact that me right. and Joe had played together, you know... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like one like degree instant, of separation yeah, with everyone. Instant chemistry. He's know, amazing. I mean, well, he's a <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> but he... I remember the first time I saw him play live, I was completely floored. I was like, the tone, the dude's like singing like an angel and like, oh my God, ridiculous. Yeah, truly incredible. So, and that's where we're at right now. Cool. I mean, I'm I'm really happy with the record, the reaction I've been seeing. Kids seem to really like it and, you know. Yeah, it's awesome, man. It's killer. I'm I'm really happy for you guys. No, because you're going to have to sound check it. You're going to have to sound check it. So, <laughs> we, can ra- we can wrap it. We can wrap it. Is that good, guy? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Are you kidding me? Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got stories today. Uh, dude, uh, we're, what, we can, hey, when they're done, can we, we can bang out a few more minutes or no? It's up to you. It'll take them at least five minutes to get the shit off stage. The drums are all, the only thing coming off. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, but Joey will take them a few minutes. Okay. It's all up right. you guys. No, no. I'm, I'd I'm, love for you to talk about all right, negative approaches. Uh, I think they're they're taking a break and sound check here. Um, but you have to go sound check, Todd. So, Let's, I wanted to. Uh, I'll ask you about your time in Danzig, and you were just saying that you you have a million great Danzig stories. Danzig uh, these days has become uh, an internet meme <laughs> and a little bit of a joke, honestly. Uh, as I saw him, I saw him recently in London at the Roundhouse, and then he was great, right? Really, really great. Um, but I think his, like his public persona is so weird. But Danzig's but it, like pizza. Like, even when it's bad, it's still kind of good, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can't get enough of him. Yeah. I mean, from a diehard fan, as we all were, to even whatever he's doing. I was, I'm always fascinated. I'm always intrigued. What's the, thing, what's the thing on the internet now that he needs in his rider that was really funny? Uh, fuck. I wish I could remember. Damn it. Because I wanted to know if it was for real. There was, it was something. Like, he has really... I somehow, one of his riders, like... Uh, uh, we, I know when we when we were out, we used to have this thing in the rider that said if there was any religious uh, artifacts in the venue, they needed to be inverted. <laughs> so play here. That's kind of the opposite. We, we've had uh, we've had bands come in here that wouldn't walk in the door because of so, like, there's an upside down cross right, on that right, window right. and like all that shit. And they're like, you got to take it down. You know, actually, no, no staff no staff was allowed to look at Mr. Danzig in the eyes. Wow, that was another one. So what's that all about? And how serious was that implemented? No, it's just, you know, it's just fucking with people. But seriously, okay. Take out the M&M's. Red M&M's, right? Yeah. Making sure you're reading it. He did need his French onion soup. That was the thing, the French onion soup. That's That's for real. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, he has to have French onion soup. Like, what are we talking about? Like, just before he goes on stage? or No, maybe an hour before. And he doesn't drink water. He does not. I've never seen Glenn Danzig drink water. What does he drink? Iced tea. And salty ass French onion soup. And he, when when I first joined Danzig, you know, like if you listen, because I joined on six, like six hadn't come out yet, but I toured it. His voice was a little sh- fucked up on that. 
He went to a throat specialist, and the throat specialist said, Mr. Danzig, you have the throat of a jackal. (laughs) (laughs) I guess Negative Approach is going to continue playing. More Negative Approach. The songs are only fucking 35 seconds long, so... Dead stop. Sing, Ron. Go for it. Go. Dead stop. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm having the best summer, dude. I get to fucking watch these guys every... If you would have told a 14-year-old me, when you're 47, you're going to (laughs) watch Negative Approach every night for a month. I'd be like, what fucking planet are you on? You know what I mean? (laughs) And this... I mean, I got into hardcore in 84. We are recording, Ron. Is this on? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I got into hardcore in 84, and Negative Approach was probably about the fifth or sixth band I heard. And, I mean, I got into, like, Minor Thread, the real basics. But hearing Negative Approach just kicked it up, like, ten notches. Yeah. There was a ferocity in it that was... Every band was ferocious, but they were so far above and beyond. It was so primal. I think Negative Approach were harder than Flag. Yep. I, 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 I'll take Negative Approach over Black Flag any day, yeah. dude. Me, me too. Yeah. Any day. Yeah. Any day. This this seven inch and tie down LP. I mean, those they're two perfect records. Perfect. And that's what the blood clot record. That that was kind of like my my goal was like I want to make a record where you know there's not one song you skip. Right. You know what I mean? Because that's how those like you know no filler. There's no filler. No filler. You know, like you put on the Roar cassette. Are you skipping anything? No, hell no. No, I mean maybe if you don't like reggae, you do. But <laughs> um, well, yeah, you know, Age of Quarrel. You don't skip anything. No, you don't even think Victim in Pain. Maybe Seekers of the Truth. Um, <laughs> victim in Pain. You don't skip a song. No, hell no. You know what I mean? For Negative me, the approach. Reagan Youth record, too. Yeah. I mean, those are like perfect records. Perfect records. The My Threat singles. I mean, yeah. I'm going back to that time. Yeah. This is D, Get It step. Away. Yeah, Get It Away. Come on. Yeah, I mean. Um, so, I mean, I was trying to tap into that. Right. You know what I mean? You know, Discharge, Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing. Like The riffs remind me of I was very Fab Range, Chromags, Occasionally Discharge. Yes. I mean, the influences are there, but... I admit all of it, you know? <laughs> I admit it. But those are the best... That's the yeah. best template in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I, like I said, I have no problem admitting, you know what? I rip off the bad brains. I rip off Discharge. I do. You know? If you could rip something off. Is there you anything the fucking... Best. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's, you know... I mean, the whole thing with ripping things off, too, is that eventually they go through a filter with the rest of a band. That right. Well, when the rhythm section comes yeah. into some different, and then John comes in, yeah. in the case of Blood Clot, it's but a, the it's thing a is, different is at animal. At point, hardcore is almost like blues. You know what I mean? Like, there's only yeah. so much. Oh, yeah. How many, these three style, chords, what are you going to do? this style of hardcore, you know, there's only so much you can really do. So yeah. it's, like, it's like blues at this point, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and that's where I think the other... Especially the singer and to a lesser extent the rhythm section, what they do is what creates the difference. Right. You know? Because the, the basic template well, I is think like blues. Especially like you're with, with Joey, because he, you know, he is coming from the West Coast. You know, so he has that influence yeah. in his drumming. His accent you know? thing is very different. Yeah, it, and, and, and the thing is, like, I, forgot, I was at Sound and Fury uh, a couple of weeks back, right? And this band was playing. I was like, I was like oh, yeah, they remind me of a DC band. And they're like, thank you, we're blah, 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 blah from DC. Because there's that regional thing. <laughs> there's that regional thing with hardcore where it's like, you know, you could hear that D.C. sound yep. or that Boston sound Completely. or New York sound. And even in the Midwest internet age, sound. you still yeah, find it. totally. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And that's really cool because what... There's not many music genres out there that, you know, regionally Rap. could be like, oh, yeah, I know yeah. these guys are from the Midwest. These guys we're are from California. Long Island. And uh, his, him and his friends were a few years younger, but their, their generation of early 90s hardcore bands... You knew immediately they right. lived within 12 miles of each right, other. Right. It was so obvious yeah. in the vibe and the yep. sound. 
but also what you're influenced, what you're influenced by in those in those areas, you know. And yeah, if you and that's one thing. You who's the big band? You know right. what I mean. Yeah. Um, and you emulate it, but you take it your own direction. Mm-hmm. You know? It's interesting because that doesn't really exist anymore because it, no, nobody's really regional anymore. Right. Not right. really. Like, no, because things like you're you know, thrown out every, into the universe right. as soon as yeah. you start. Yeah. You no, know? I mean when I'm seeing reviews of you know Europe already, and like you know what I mean. It's like it's a different time. Like the whole listening experience. I was thinking about the other day, like how different. It is for kids today the listening experience than it was for us. Oh God! I feel bad for them. Like they don't get that experience of like going to the store and going. And well, you're talking about the budget bin going. Like of course, that's how I got the Dust record. You know, I was like, great record. Fucking cover looks so cool. The first record, it's ninety nine cents. I'll take a chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and Marky plays his. Yeah. Did you know? Did you know that Marky Ramone is in it? Or you just no? It was just like a cool cover. Yeah. I was just like, wow. And, you know, sometimes you'd end up with some stinkers. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I mean, like, and once it came to our time of, like, early, mid-80s, it was, like, artwork. Yeah. Thank you lists. Yep. What shirts the bands are wearing. If yep. you saw, like, an underground hardcore yeah, metal world, band wearing shirts. World's could, most deceiving band, Molly Hatchet. Yes. <laughs> Molly, yes. Definitely. Frazetta, right? Did yeah. all the artwork. Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. And it's all great. But you know what? Come on. You, you can't front on Molly Hatchet. They are. For Southern of, Rock? They're great. They're kind of a yeah. badass band. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not. But we, I didn't buy that record, you know. No, you bought it for the cover. <laughs> yeah. not for you thought it was going to be sick. Flirt with disaster. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> yeah, so it's like Skinnered Light. Yeah, it's like Boogie Rock. Yeah, you know it's Boogie. I mean? Boogie Rock. Yeah. Boogie Rock. All right, I better get to it, you guys. Get to it, man. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Very appreciate Fantastic. it. Fantastic. There's, so there's so many fucking superstars in your band, and I. I feel bad. They're like they were like roaming around. I was like, should we should we ask them? Should we I'm ask John least, Joseph a question? I'm the least famous of these guys. Come on, I got. I know. Castillo, I mean, I'm definitely going to get John. You know, I can get John, John Joseph and Nick yeah. Oliveri. Like, I know. I, I've I, known John for years. I'll get John. Yeah. But the other guys, I mean, I mean, and then West Coast. I, we're you know. famous for doing stuff like this. Though, like you know, we we interviewed the the drummer from Poison Idea. So that's so cool. <laughs> and like you know, we're getting we want to get Blasco. And we came up to him we're like we just want to talk about Cryptic Slaughter. Like I mean, yeah. you know, I'll show you the text. I sent him a text when he was did, get, didn't just the got off stage. Documentary just come out on Cryptic Slaughter. Yeah, there's well, some short documentary or something. I, I was the other day I saw it somewhere. I was like, oh shit, I gotta remember and watch this. I mean, I fucking love Cryptic right. Slaughter. When I, I didn't even know he was in Aussie too because he changed. You know, Blasco. Right, Who right. the fuck's Blasco? Right. He's and involved then, with Zach's management too. Yeah. 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 And then through the grapevine, I knew he was in like Rob Zombie solo band. Right. But it's like, I would have two questions about Ozzy, and I'd ask 400 about Cryptic right. Slaughter. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like, that's just how I'm wired. That's where, that's what's sacred, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it is, and it is a sacred thing. I think some people get a little too protective of it, of this, whatever you want to call yeah, this right. thing. They're a little too protective of it. Um, you know. And that's not an insult on Rob Zombie solo stuff, or Ozzy, because I mean, right. especially Ozzy. I mean, yeah. Sabbath changed my life. Yeah. But... You know, like... All right, let's do this. Favorite Sabbath record? I can tell you. It's the first record I bought my own money. Master Reality. Okay. Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. Born Again. Oh. I listened to it yesterday. Okay. That's it, how I'm, I'm ending this on Don't you think it should Digital be remixed bitch. and oh remastered? Can you imagine if they remixed that record? Because so the sounds muddy. can't be that bad. Do you ever hear the demos? Amazing. Yeah. The demos are yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. And they're interesting because they're clean. They're yeah. not muddy. But if they took all that reverb and all that shit yeah. over there... Oh I know. Zero the hero, disturbing the priest. disturbing the priest, digital Trash? bitch, digital even, bitch, even Trash, songs that like keep it warmer. Great. Yeah, I listened to it yesterday. It's so yeah. funny you mentioned I, that. I mean, I love Deep Purple, so that's why I was. Just well, that helps. That Fuck yeah. Hardcore already. And they point, consider it. You know? They consider it their worst album. It All sounds awful. Best. Yeah. And there you go, Todd Youth giving it to us. Thank you, brother. Thanks, buddy.